Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. Attention, attention, les Allemands arrivés, ils ne sont pas amicaux. Ah, merde, alors <laughs> um, Which is, of course, French for acting, acting. The Germans are coming, they are not friendly. Um, expletive added. We're recording this show in the week that marks the 80th anniversary of the Blitzkrieg, which, of course, saw German troops smash their way into Holland and Belgium on their way to ultimately occupying France in probably the most stunning victory of the Second World War, apart from when the Allies win at the end. Welcome to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Uh, last and and, yeah, and you've, had the, you've just had your birthday, out, haven't you? 10th yeah, of May, what a birthday. day! What a day yes, to have I know. a birthday. The day know, that Churchill the, becomes Prime Minister, the day that the Germans launch their attack on the West. You know, that's really no good. One one. Used, no one used to care, but finally I found an environment where people do <laughs> give a shit about that. <laughs> I'm really impressed. I'm really That's impressed. That's right. And my sister, my sister and I share a birthday. My eldest sister and I are both on May the tenth. So we're she gets Churchill, I get Falgelb. Anyway, um, welcome, uh, welcome to we have ways of making you talk. Last Friday, of course, we were talking about VE Day, and now proving that we may be the least linear podcast in the brief history of this blossoming frontier of a medium. We're talking about the event which really marks the start of Britain's full-scale involvement in the Second World, Second World War. In fact, Nick Geraghty on Twitter responded to our suggestion over the weekend that we plan this as a talking point with the following pithy observation. This is going to be exhausting. On Friday, we'd won it, but now we're straight into the prequels. It's a- <laughs> well, he's got a point. Like- he's got a point, hasn't he? Yeah. Because, I yeah, mean, it's like Star you know, Wars, the anniversaries come order. thick and fast. I mean, you know, we, we've yeah. just got through V-Day. Now it's 80th of, of, of Val Gelb and Dunkirk yeah. and the Battle of Britain. And then quickly we put the Battle of Britain on hold again while we go back to VJ Day in 1945. And then we yep. forget all the 75th anniversaries because they've gone and we're back to full on 80th. The thing is, I mean, one thing it tells you is that there's a lot of summer campaigning in the Second World War, doesn't it? Is well, that, you know, the whole campaigning season. All falling around yeah. one another. Yeah, well, exactly. the problem is when yeah. you're kind of hyper-mechanised like the Allies were, um, you know, trying to do it in winter in mud, it doesn't really work so well. Yeah. You know, the old well, rules still at, hold firm. The old rules. They haven't got to go home for the harvest like in the in, in the no, that is old true. days. That is true. <laughs> that is true. Um, that's the... Now, James, how was your weekend? I mean, because you've been, we, we, we did a fair bit of um, uh, punting We Have Ways, didn't we, on various media as well? Yeah, we, we, we did. We, we, we did that. And you, you, you were talking to Angela Rippon, not that I've heard it, but I heard there was a little bit of piss taking going on. That's fine. Um, yes, yeah. And then, uh, yeah, then we, um, <laughs> we had a chat with Adrian Charles, didn't we, on the radio and yeah. Channel 4 and yeah. Matt Fry. And is, is yeah. Boris Chamberlain or is he Churchill? That was all quite good. So yeah, it was all good fun. Yep. But how was your how was your V Day seventy five weekend? Did you did you enjoy it? Well, did we, you have flags well, out? Yeah, we did it. We we did actually. We put them up. we made some some toddler um, bunting, some toddler manufactured bunting, which we put out, and there were Union Jacks in the street, which is quite interesting because because I don't know, you know, I think uh, the the sort of combination of of um, being under lockdown and then having a big anniversary is kind of is kind of. Uh, Weird, isn't it? I mean, we, you know, obviously really? we didn't do any congering or anything. No, no. I mean, but, yeah. but, but, um, but that was, I mean, that was one of the, that was sort of, again, that was the thing we kept being asked, didn't we, the weekend is like, where does this, where does the current crisis 
marry up with the, the war and all that sort of thing? How do they how do they reflect upon one another? You know, and I it is interesting. It is interesting that that's what everyone. I mean, maybe it's because VE, VE days in the air, but everyone wants to compare the two, don't they? They really, really yeah. do. Well, I've got to say, in my village, there was um, they were going to have this sort of big ceremony at three o'clock, and then they asked my mate Pete, who's um, who can play the bagpipes. I said, "Well, look, we're, we're going to cancel that, but could you come and do a, a, a number?" So he he did "Amazing Grace" on the bagpipes at the War Memorial, uh, and actually a hell of a lot of people came out, and I'm, I'm not sure there was that much social distancing going on. Then another oh, village no. up the road, they had a, they had an outdoor kind of street party, two meters apart, but. Everyone, I mean, everyone just got pissed as far as I can make out. Um, not that I saw it, but I saw photos. And then, um, yeah. But but you know, it was it was a lovely atmosphere actually on 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 Friday? Mm. I thought, um, you know, it was sort of. Um, I watched about ten minutes of Vera Lynn, and you know, it's. Um, I mean, we the sun were, we were shining. We were, the flags were out. It was we, all, um, we were directly under the red arrows out in Chiswick Park um, on, oh, wow. on Friday morning, uh, uh, whenever it was. You know, like half past nine. No, you never get bored and, of that, uh, do you? Well, no, but it's quite fun. it's quite interesting because we do we where I live. You look out my office window. There's normally a plane going by down into Heathrow, right? So obviously we've got used to the fact that, that there there aren't there any, and I haven't yet reached the but I haven't yet reached the point of pointing at planes and going I'm bird in sky. I haven't got there yet, but like <laughs> but I'm, I'm I'm heading that way, right? Um, but one thing one thing that um, uh, Eleanor, my, my partner, the other day uh, said is she said. Uh, Oh, there's a plane going by. And I thought, gosh, isn't that noisy, right? So, so I'm like, okay, so you, the, the noise is, because they're so rare, the noise is becoming more of a thing. So when we're out walking, I, I hear the red arrows and I think, gosh, he's right. The planes are much more noticeably noisy, aren't they? Now that they're less frequent. And then, of course, nine fucking hawks go over. The smoke <laughs> All right, it's, a, it's a red arrows. It's not an air, it's not an Airbus. <laughs> anyway, I mean, it, uh, yeah. Um, well, I tell you what, now, I, um, I, I, I sat. I made my 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 twelve year old daughter. She didn't thank me for it at all. Sit down yeah. and watch um, Diary for Timothy, which I've been waxing lyrical about the oh, Tom Jennings film. And actually, it was really, really good, and it was actually even better than I remembered. And and you'll love it because it starts off. At, um, he's born on the seventeenth of September, nineteen forty four. Uh, and right. it's sort of you were born as as the planes were heading over towards a new wow. battle in Holland, and it's read wow. by Michael Redgrave on a script by Ian e. Forster. So you know it's it's cheapest. Yeah, it's probably good. They it's have really the A team on that, and, and, they? It's, and, it, and what is really interesting is it's the vision for the Britain that follows. So it's quite it's quite yeah. political, but it's really it's really yeah. really interesting. Did you hear John Waddy on the Today, Today program on Friday morning? No, I didn't. But I've got okay. So I interviewed him all day on the fir- in in twenty thirteen, <sighs> and I've got that. I've got to get the the film footage off my vision who filmed it. Yeah. Um, but I've got the yeah. interview, and he yeah. was just fantastic. So what was he saying on the Today programme? Well, it was Nick Robinson, and, and so they start off with, with, you know, what are your feelings about VE Day? He goes, well, of course, I was, um, I was in a stalag loft, you know, I was in a prison war camp, and we got let out. Uh, he said, all I wanted is get home. And then I, so we're, 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 we're sent to the RAF, but the RAF can't get us home because they, they've been enjoying themselves too much on VE Day. So basically all the air crews were pissed. So he didn't get to go home. So, and he said, I can't remember the word he used, but basically we were a lot cooler headed about this whole thing at the time. And then they, and then obviously, then they talked about um, Market Garden. And, and he says, well, you know, it was a daring operation. It was worth it at the time because if we'd ended, if we'd have ended the war, we'd have saved millions of lives. Bang says, on. And, and, can't, can't, and you're can't like, disagree and with you're that. Like, you're like, we can't argue with that. And, that. and that's interesting as well because, because he had, because he, 
He what was he? Was a, was he a, he was a uh, he was company commander. He's, he's the last surviving company. That's commander. right. He's a major. He's one of the majors. Exactly. Major, so yeah. he's got no. So he's got no skin in the game for the responsibility for how the you know the the, the idea the con- the concept has he? It's not no. like a general covering his ass. You know, because because you might you know if you had Urquhart on, he'd probably go. Well, of course the risk was worth it, but in the end we didn't. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right? So to hear someone that no, he's he's a, he's a perfect food, rank and position to be, to make a considered judgment on this. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then he and then he talks about being the advisor on a bridge too far, and um, uh, <laughs> and uh, the producer Joseph Levine taking to one side and saying. Uh, uh, well, so basically, he'd gone to Dickie Attenborough and gone, there's stuff in this is completely inaccurate. And uh, Attenborough had gone to Joseph Levine and said, you know, the colonel's got his concerns. <laughs> and um, Levine apparently said, tell the colonel that I make money from making movies, not from making history. And you're like, OK, <laughs> fair enough. But 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 if then only get, other Hollywood the, filmmakers were so honest. Well, yeah, exactly. But then he gets into this thing at the end of the interview. He says, basically, he says, um. You know, the, the bond that formed between us and the people of Arnhem as a result of the battle was a, was a special thing. And then I'll admit it got very du- it got very dusty in my kitchen when he said, um, uh, you know, and it stayed with me to this day that we failed and we let them down. And and you're like, mate, God, you didn't fail anyone, you know. Um, anyway, so that's well worth There's a listen. There's only one man who a- failed them. <laughs> Well, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, so, uh, and that's at about that's at about seven forty one on Friday's last Friday's VE days today. Podcast. Okay, I'll have a listen to that. I'll have a listen. Well he, was, listen. he was so delightful. I, I met. It sounds rather seedy. I met him in a hotel near Taunton, um, but <laughs> but I did. So I so oh, what remember the days like, when you could meet people in hotels near Taunton. God, they were the good yeah, old exactly. days, weren't they? <laughs> so I I I I, interv- I interviewed him myself first, and then we went back and filmed him. And because um, there was talk about doing a, a doc for for the BBC, and um, yeah, and so we we just thought let's just get it in the bag. And he was just brilliant. He had he's just got this he's, he's got this sort of slight aquiline nose, and he's got these sort of piercing eyes and he's got this face which is sort of wonderfully walnutty uh, uh, yeah. with age but boy was he sharp i mean he he was he was yeah. fantastic he was utterly charming he's he's sort of you know ever so often you used to you you know in my experience you'd get these these veterans tom neal the fighter pilot was one of those yeah who not only had a very clear memory but also with the passage of time had 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 properly analyzed his experiences and could contextualize yep. his experiences into the bigger picture which yep. which makes them just invaluable because because actually he can look at this with a kind of objectivity i mean there's lots of people who, yep. who flew in the battle of britain for example you know who, who just they still you know to their dying day we're talking about you know we were outnumbered the few kind of it was a close run thing yeah, yeah. all this kind of stuff because of what they've read afterwards you'd never get that yep. with tom and you wouldn't get that with john waddy either john john was always no. this sort of incredibly sort of is prescient the right word in his approach yeah. to it it was just fantastic yeah but the other thing i've been doing this weekend is is reading the good shepherd by c.s forrester he of hornblower right. fame i've never yeah. even yeah. heard of this book before but apparently it's the inspiration for the new tom hanks movie uh right. called the, Grey- the greyhound so yeah. the, the the premise is it's it's sometime in 1942 i can't quite work out when the, the main protagonist, the whole thing is told through the um, through the point of view of this guy called Commander George Krause. And Krause yep. is an American 
destroyer captain and he is the the com escort so he's the commander of the escort of four escorts of this transatlantic convoy and it's his first transatlantic convoy anyway and he is only in command through dint of seniority of rank and age right so he's been right. completely tested, and it's winter, and it's miserable, and it's freezing cold, and it's this thirty-six hour period where he's got to marshal and and to get the convoy through this screen of the wolf pack, and it is yep. absolutely fantastic. The attention to detail is second to none. You know, really? so you just so at the end of this, you absolutely know what it was like being a destroyer captain on the on the Atlantic convoys. You know, the, the limitations of what they've got, what they can do, yeah. the kind of this promise of improved science and technology just around the corner. Um, yeah, yeah. The constant decisions he has to make all the time. It's a, it's a it's a calculation in terms of distances and time and all the rest of it, but also a, a yeah. calculation calculations in terms of. What will that suggest to the other three escorts if I do this? Every word he says in, in, in his comms with the other escorts, with his subordinate officers on the ship, everything yeah. has a layer. Everything has a meaning. There is, there so is he's no, weighing absolutely everything. Uh, absolutely everything. And he's just on his feet the whole time. So while everyone else is on watch and he's insisting that he is on his feet for 36 hours and he's he's absolutely shattered i mean he's just he's 42 years old he's completely shattered he's not eating enough he's not feeling enough his legs are aching his brain's got to keep focused and he's constantly playing this cat and mouse with these with these u-boats and he's just and you know suddenly someone says you know that they see a periscope uh, and he just gets a he literally gets a nanosecond on it and then it's gone yeah. You've then got to second guess what that U-boat commander is also thinking. You know, what is yeah, he yeah, going yeah, to yeah, do? Yeah. And it's just amazing. We don't do enough on the Battle of the Atlantic here because I keep saying it's the most important theatre of the Second World War, which I really genuinely believe. Well, it is the it, yet, is the it is the mega battle of the Second World War, isn't it's it? It's a mega because it's the, just the, amazing. The problem with I mean, a problem in a way with the metal with the Battle of the Atlantic is it's is it's so vast, so long that it's basically. It's basically 1939 to 1945. It's basically the length of the war. And, and arguably the Second World War. I know, I know that with VE Day, there was an awful lot of um, everyone's forgotten the Russians. And you think, well, I expect if you go to the if, expect if you go to Russia and you check out the they maybe have forgotten the allies. But let's but you know, whatever. Uh, uh, but the battle of the, the battle Atlantic is the is the mega battle of the of the Second World War. The mega campaign, yes, and the one that if you that, that whoever wins that win essentially decides the war. They might not they might not win it straight away, but they decide they decide what's going to happen long term, don't they? Because because the yeah. Battle of the Atlantic impinges on on the on the U, on the Northwest European campaign, the African campaign, the, the Italian campaign, the the campaign in the Far East actually. Um, yep. uh, you know the, everything. It, it's the one mega campaign, isn't it? Uh, but there's no actual. There's no battle. It's not like Jutland, where, where um, you know the two navies square off, and and the fact there's no decision is the deciding factor. You know. You know what I mean? There's no. There's no grand encounter, and um, and obviously, the the mind is drawn, and the way history's been, the way history's been written, and the way, in fact, the way wars used to be fought, you'd have these big. Giant mega encounters, wouldn't you? That would last a day. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, and that would decide things. But in fact, you know, the, the, there's no, the, the Battle of the Atlantic is this decisive battle, but it doesn't fit into. 
an afternoon, which is what which is what people. Well, people's yeah, and also are, there's 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 no beach and got a battered concrete to go and look yeah. at either. You know, you you, yeah. you you could paddle off to the western approaches, and even if you were feeling really bold, you could row all the way to the mid Atlantic. But when you got there, you just go. <laughs> Oh, you know, convoy HX seventy-seven. Yeah, that was a tough one. Yeah, I and mean, then you kind of turn around the, and paddle back again, wouldn't you? The walking the ground isn't quite. I mean, unless you, you know, you're strolling on the deck of a cruise ship, and that is something I will never do. I'm no, never going on but, a cru- but but if someone said to me, "Hey, there. great news! I've just found a Corvette. Fancy going across the Atlantic in it in in winter?" I'd go, "Hell yeah." Mm. Come on, of course you would. It would be awful, and yeah. that's the whole point. I. I'd, I'd talk to you on Zoom. Um, anyway, um, <laughs> how's it going, James? Lord, <laughs> <laughs> it's awful. <laughs> I've been on my feet for 36 hours. No, I, I, I want to experience the cruel sea. Obviously, I don't want to fall overboard no. and drown, but I do want to experience the no. cruel sea. I want to know what it was like. Well, so when's this this movie? I mean, is this movie getting a conventional release? Because that's the other well, thing. Well, I don't know. It's they release films, aren't well. they? I don't know. Latest thing I've heard is it's coming out on the 12th of June, but whether that, I mean, obviously right. not into cinemas near you. Well, they might stick it straight up on a streaming thing, which is what they've been they've been doing with some films. Anyway, Suits there have fine. been some amu- anyway, it looks amusing, great. yeah, amusing examples of of, our, of of people with no interest in the subject. And imagine that having no interest in this subject. Who are these schmucks? <laughs> um, no interest freak. in the subject whatsoever. Trying to get involved. Many of you have seen the valiant attempt on Twitter of a young woman who listened to my reading of Zeno's The Cauldron, and we've. Oh seen- my God! This is so. Funny. And we have some news about Zeno's The Cauldron that will be on the live cast on Thursday night, 8.30pm. Yeah, on exciting the, news. Over on the Patreon, some exciting news. Um, uh, anyway, she was listening to the uh, reading of The Cauldron in an attempt <laughs> to find <laughs> common ground with her other half. Now, here's a lesson in the dangers of mission creep, I fear. This is an exchange between Daisy and her other half, and she writes as an explanation, I can't say for sure the other half enjoyed me trying to take an interest. Here's what, um, here's her um, WhatsApp exchange. Now, I'm going to, if I'm talking forcefully, it's because it's caps, okay? I won't learn about people parachuting into Arnhem. I won't be a patriot if that's what you want. I don't know what the Spando are either. I thought it was a place. This is all nonsense to me. Scruffy Butcher just killed a man, but he's now gravely injured, and I've got no fucking idea how many men are left because I don't know what a company is. Or a platoon. For fuck's sake, when did a platoon become involved? This is bollocks. I hope they lose. Who are the Bosch? Are we the Bosch? Now a glider's on fire and the section needs to deal with it. What's a fucking section? This is an absolute nightmare. To which uh, OH replies, A company is like a squadron. A platoon is like a troop. The Germans are the Bosch. Spandau are machine guns. Why have you, I assumed you're... <laughs> she goes, she, she's back. Why have you assumed I remember what a squadron is? Spandau is where they make them. Because I'm in a... And here we go. Because I'm in a squadron? <laughs> A section is a third of a platoon commanded by a corporal. I don't know who you are. A man is burning to death in a glider. That's most sad. He's dead now. So, I mean, so brilliant. I mean, it's brilliant. I mean, more book reviews should be like that, I think. I think if the book's page in the Sunday well, Times was like that, I, I'd buy it. I've got to say, at the, at the moment, <laughs> I'm going through the copy edits of Sicily. Uh, and mm. it's absolutely clear that my poor copy editor has got in a complete tangle about. Which is so? Is is it third Falschemjäger or first Falschemjäger? Is this part oh, of the God. first division or what? 
Uh, and then they're getting oh, really, no. really confused about kind of, you know, whether it's a machine gun platoon or battalion or, or whatever anyway. So I keep sort of patiently saying no. Um, third Falschenjäger regiment, that's Ludwig Harman's one, remember? And obviously she yeah. can't. And anyway, it's all getting a bit... <laughs> what can you do? The the perils, eh? The, the perils, perils of writing. Yeah. But that is just brilliant. Uh, it, I absolutely love that. I laughed my head off when I first read that. Not literally, obviously, but yeah, I did. Very I did strong. Laugh a lot. Yeah. Now, of course. Um. Uh, well, I tell you what. We're going to take a. Sh- we're going to take a very short break, and then we're going to deal with some of your questions. Um, marking Falgelb. Um. Uh. The. In fact, we're going to call a halt order right now. Stop the tanks. Time for a break. <laughs> Uh, welcome back. We hope you enjoyed your break and used it fruitfully. I mean, I'm finding one of the things about um, working from home is that lots of people are discovering that you can go to the toilet and do what would be a job-ending crap in the comfort of your own home. I mean, well, that's what people don't know about working from home is you can spend an awfully long time in the toilet and no one cares. Someone sent me this, or gave me this, um, a couple of years ago, Secrets and Stories of the War, which is a two-volume Reader's Digest compendium. Oh, yeah, I've got that. Of little of little accounts, the Eben Mal bit. It's only four yeah. pages, um, where he says the gliders aren't the, the gliders aren't the thing. It's the fact that they're sort of storm engineers. That's the actual key to it, which is really really interesting. And and it's and it's lots and lots of of, of reportage journalism written at the time. So that's what that's what I sit on the toilet for forty five minutes and leaf through. Anyway, welcome back. I can um, understand uh, that. Yeah, absolutely. That's the advantage of working from home, ladies and gentlemen. Our podcast postal service is flat out trying to answer everyone. I remain astonished that um, we've had the response we have had to the podcast. I mean, we're obviously enjoying ourselves, but when other people are enjoying it as well, that's a very, very cool thing. Um, And we're also trying to deliver more and more um, additional and extra and fascinating content. And so what we've got for you on Thursday... Um, uh, Thursday's special edition, and then the week after, the following Thursday. Oh, this is good. special guest, it's so good, is the writer and lawyer, Philippe Sands, author of The Rat Line and East West Street. Um, I promise you that you'll enjoy that conversation. We had a... Oh, it was fantastic, wasn't it? I mean, mean, dear listener, you know what it's like when uh, James and I can't shut up? Well, add a third person who also has a similar problem. To, to the mix and it goes on forever but I mean his 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 grappling with the with the issues that um uh, those books raise and talking about the I mean basically the, the culture within um top end Nazism um is absolutely fascinating and then the ramifications and the knock-ons and what happens in the Cold War that follows and where he's going with that idea and where it's taking him um yeah. or, or that that history is really really fascinating Oh god, um, it, so, was, it was just amazing, wasn't it? And it's you know, it it's, it's the eternal question: Why did they do it? How did so yeah. many people become Nazis? And, and I've got yeah. to say, you know, it's about the closest I've ever got to getting an answer. It yeah. it was just fantastic. Yeah, it's really, 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 really good. And and if you've heard the rat line, it, it was that peculiar thing of where you've heard someone's voice, you've sat with someone's voice for like several hours, and then there they are talking to you, and it's like ah, I'm inside the you know that 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 really, really, really peculiar yeah. thing. Sometimes you have when you when, when you you think you know someone, and there they are talking about the subject that they that they've talked to you about before. It's, so we recommend that Thursday and the following Thursday. It's really, really, really good. And of course, Thursday night is our live stream eight thirty. Um. Uh, anyway. Questions about Blitzkrieg, it says here in front of me. Now, we've got lots of these. And we're going to try to rattle through them in the manner of, a, in the, manner of the sharp end 
of uh, Falgelb itself. Um, Bob Joylove, which I think is probably his pawn name. How reliant was Blitzkrieg on higher level commander control? Or was it the skills of German tactical commanders that made it potent? Well, I think, I think, how, uh, uh, let, let's say, how reliant was Blitzkrieg on higher level command and control in the French army? Um, I think the answer to that is entirely. Because after all, it's, it's, it's high level command and control in the French army that falls to, that, well, it doesn't even fall to pieces. It's not existent in the first place. And a big part of, a big, you know, that's why, that's why books about, I mean, I've, I, I dug them all up. That's why books about um, this battle are called To Lose a Battle. That's why they're called Strange Victory, because that's exactly what happens, arguably exactly it's what 50, happens. It's 50-50. Yes. It's 50-50. 50, 50 German brilliance, 50% total crapness of the French. It, it, it just is. I mean, the thing about, I mean, what they're talking about, about here is, you know, what Bob Joylov is talking about is, is is German tactical commanders, isn't he? He's talking about yeah. the German level. What, how, yes, I, mean, I know. First of all, know, first of all there, is no, there is no there is no concept of Blitzkrieg in the German army at this time. Okay, that that is a nope. that is a, a, a term that is coined by uh, by an American journalist in the autumn of nineteen thirty nine. Um, yep. It is not a doctrine. Um, well, it's the doctrine. Well, it's not a political. Um, uh, no notion it, it, it's not a strategic doctrine it's not tactical either it, it, in no. fact it's it's a bot it's it's actually weirdly a byproduct of of all three where yeah. they've got themselves that the gum tree that the germans have got themselves up by the end by mid 1939 right. basically isn't it economically but, but, but it's but it's also bevegan's creek which is really what it is the means of fighting in a fast operational level um, and this yeah. is something they've been doing for centuries. It goes all the way back to Frederick the Elector, Frederick the Great. They, they certainly were trying to do it in, in 1870. They were certainly trying to yeah. do it in 1914. Nothing yeah. has changed. And this is all goes back to the point that Germany is resource poor. It's stuck in the middle of Europe. It doesn't have access yeah. to the world's oceans in the way that you know Britain yeah. does, for example, or yeah. even France. Um, so if it's going to fight to take on a war, it's got to make sure it wins really quickly. So yeah. what you do is you have a massive especially front, which especially is a, if it especially if it's considering fighting on two fronts, right? Which of course, the, which of course they are considering. You know, I mean, for all this, oh, the Hitler's biggest mistake. Yes, but they're trying to do it one fronts, at a time. He always one, one uh, exactly. Time. Well, it, it, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the idea yeah, so, is, yeah. is you have so you hit very hard your main point of impact, so that where you do hit, you do have an overwhelming superiority in strength and force. Yeah. You then do a thing called the Kattelschlag, which is the the Cauldron War, which is basically an encirclement and you annihilate your enemy. And you do all that really, really quickly, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. So if you go back yeah. historically, 1864 against Austria, it worked really well. 1866 yeah. against Denmark, it worked really, really well. 1870 yeah, yeah. against France, it worked pretty well, but then they ran out of steam. 1914, yeah. it doesn't work. Um, but in 1939, 1940, they're trying to do exactly the same thing. There is nothing, there is absolutely nothing pioneering and new about Man, von Manstein's but, plan but, at all. What is different is the means by which the spearhead is operating. With yeah. the Luftwaffe up front as a tactical air force offering close air support and, and these... 16 mechanised divisions out of the 135 that are being used. And yeah. the key thing about a panzer division, and it's really important everyone understands this, is that a panzer division is not a division stuffed full of panzers. It is an all-arms, mechanised, combined yeah. arms force. A ba a so you've group. got motorised reconnaissance forces, you've got motorised yeah. infantry, motorised artillery and tanks, you've got cool people in BMWs and sidecars, um, motorbikes. They've all got radios, so they can all communicate with each other. 
that is the pioneering aspect of Blitzkrieg. And so it, yeah. it so it is an update of a previous conceived but, but also strategy. Th- th- those previous examples you gave us Austria didn't have it you know I mean one one of the things that the Germans when they do a quick war um, what they have in common is enemies who are either it's either completely asymmetric yeah or so Denmark Poland in 39 you know yeah. it's either completely asymmetric or it's that that the, the other side the opponent hasn't got their act together. Yeah, and th- if there's one thing the French and and the you know the Allies because after all it's in a, you know I know that it's preponderantly a French um, campaign the, the the battle for France battle of France but but the French don't have their act together and if you you know they talk a lot about the, the the Germans get inside the Allied decision loop as it were so the Germans the, the Allies the French are always responding to what happened the day before yesterday and can't get their message out until tomorrow so you've got this. You've got this decision loop problem, but the, ta- the the tactical skill, the German tactical level, they are really they're shit hot. These people, and they have a unity of purpose and concentration of force. It's all it's sort of, but like it, it's nothing new. But it's 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 well, it's it's that it's Wagner, isn't it? It's um uh, old wine in new bottles. Yeah, I mean, I I, I just view Guderian is the is is the daddy of the Blitzkrieg, not von Manstein, in my my humble opinion. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and what okay, he, next, uh, and what's what? And so, so from the very quickly, just on on to answer the sort of higher yeah. level or the tactical level, what is absolutely clear is there's lots of high level German commanders who do not get it, who do not understand no, it, who think, who, who think they are absolutely walking into disaster. It is yeah. it is really a handful of divisions and a handful of of next peg down commanders who get it, yeah. and they are driving yeah. forward the, the Blitzkrieg and, and pioneering yeah. this new methodology. Well, yes, Jamie McTrusty. Do you think the campaign in France was Rommel's finest hour during the war? He certainly displayed daring and made a name for himself. We got a nasty shot with the Arras counterattack. Well, there is that there is that school of thought that says you know Rommel Rommel after that is over promoted basically that he's a he, that that is that is level. <laughs> I don't know. I'd have thought the fall of Tobruk's quite high up there, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Captured Tobruk on the twenty first of June. I think taking. I think taking Tobruk is is uh, Rommel's finest hour. But there's certainly, you know, he he cut a dash and he knew how to he knew how to um uh he knew how to let people know that he'd cut a dash as well, didn't he? But that's all. That's Ta- all. Talking the Arras counterattack though, um, what he's really interested about that is you can stand on the farm on the hill on the ridge line um, mm. south west of Arras and you can you can marry up where you're standing with an old black and white photograph of the knocked out and, yeah. and unused 88 millimeter which he brings in and knocks out all those British Valentines and things and, um, and Matildas uh, and it is incredibly atmospheric and when you stand on that little ridge line suddenly you it, I know I've said it before but when you walk yeah. the ground there, you really, really can. It all does all start <laughs> yeah. making sense. Yeah, it's yeah, really, yeah. really appears. interesting. It's a great place sort to visit. Sort of appears, doesn't there. it? James Goodroll asks, is it true that France had better tanks than Germany during the Blitzkrieg? If so, were the French tanks, tank crews not as well trained as the Germans or was the superiority of German tanks and tank troops just Victor propaganda? Well, this is this. I mean, this raises an interesting point, doesn't it? Because um, it, it, it arguably the Allies had better tank types than the than the Germans did, um, but it, it it's kind of not the point. It's what you do. It's it's not. It's what it's what you do with them. And so if you go to Normandy in 1944, oh, the Germans had better tanks than the Allies had. Is the standard thing. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe they did, but just like just like just like in 1940, the people with the better tanks um, lost. 
So, so there's a great tank battle of Dene Flavion on the 15th of May 1940. Yeah. And what happens is, on that morning, the French First Armoured Division, which is the corps d'élite of the French army, yeah. has 176 yeah. tanks, of which a yeah. number of them are the big Sharbies, which are the biggest yeah, yeah. armoured, heaviest, got 75mm gun, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it looked like a by the end Aussie of that inch. day, by the end of that day, by dusk that night, they have thirty six left, and by eleven yeah. o'clock the following morning, they've got sixteen. And you think, well, hang on a minute, how, how could that possibly happen? Because the um, the German seventh um, and fifth Panzer divisions are equipped with these Czech tanks and Panzer ones and Part twos. They can't possibly defeat, you know, a Char B. Yeah. How can that be? So what's happening is um, a, a, a bunch of Panzer twos are kind of emerging through the woods. And literally sticking their tongue out and waggling their fingers at the Sharbees, who then slowly, deliberately clank and grind their way round towards them. The Panzer IIs then disappear into the wood again. Two minutes yeah. later, the anti-tank the guns open up and, and, and blow them to pieces, blow the French planks to pieces. So it is the anti-tank yeah. guns rather than the tanks that are causing all the damage. And the reason that's able but, to happen but, is because they've got radios and they can all communicate with one another, which is what yeah, the French yeah. don't have. So that's the but big what, thing. But what, so, what we're, so what you're looking at actually is rather than the tank crew is not as well trained as the Germans, it's basically it's, it's what you're doing tactically um, that is delivering your strategic outcome is the, it's the, it's the thing. Here isn't it? It's, so the Germans have it's got comms. it worked it's, it's, out tactically. It's, it's comms, and it's yeah, exactly, yeah. Okay, Brian Williams asks: Was Lord Gort right to pull the BEF back to the Channel ports? Could the situation yes. have been retrieved if if he yeah, instead combined with the French for their planned counterattack? Well, the, the the he kept trying to combine with the French for planned counterattack, and he did. It wasn't forthcoming. Is the problem? He had no option but to withdraw to the Channel ports because he'd been flanked. And he didn't want to get caught in the Kesselschlag. Like, you you know, he didn't want to well, get in circles. Well, I'm sorry, but, you know, when, when, near, the Belgians on, when the Belgians on your left, when the Belgians on the left and the 55 French division on your right are falling back, you've got no choice but to fall back in line or else you're going you're gonna to end yeah. up dead. Um, toast, and and yeah. then, I mean, big counterattack is, is such a shower, it's not true. And I think it is just worth just sort of explaining why this happens. So why is it that the French can't do this? And it's because they've got, the, the, they're very top heavy in their command structure. So you've got Gamelan at the very top, then you've got, or you have until the 23rd of May when, when Wigan takes over, then you've got then yeah. you've got the army, the army groups, the army groups of the north, then you've got armies, then you've got corps, then you've got divisions, brigades, all the rest of it. Yeah. The problem is because they don't have good radio communication and because Stukas are coming over and blowing up telephone lines, um, they're dependent on dispatch riders half the time. And so dispatch riders yeah. get sent off at kind of six in the morning. And then and then what happens is they're on a, on a road which is chogged with refugees. They can't then get anywhere. Anyway, so what then happens is, is they send off a dispatch rider at, at six o'clock in the morning. Yeah. He hasn't reappeared by 12. So they then send another one off. He eventually comes back at nine o'clock yeah. that night. By which time yeah. everything has changed. And of course, that process has to go down the chain from army group to army to corps to yeah. division to everything. And so the net result is they're unable to do anything. They are rabbits in headlights. They're absolutely stuck. And so the, yeah. the Germans are able to defeat them in isolation, in penny packets. And that's what happens. You've also got, the, I mean, the, the French army and the German army at this point, they're very different entities, aren't they? The British have, had, the British have maintained an army to police their empire, the, yes. uh, which is why, of course, which is why, of course, um, it, it's so sort of weirdly tactically disparate and trained and, you know, yeah. you, you, the, 
It's why it always takes a little while for the British to shake down and figure out how to win in each theatre because they have a they have a kind of no size fits all approach to training. And it's left left to the divisional commanders to figure out what to do. The French army has decided, well, we're a great big standing army to protect our eastern border. And they've got imperial things to do, too. But they're they're you know, they've got this poilu thing that you're going to you're going to defend the from Switzerland to the to the Belgian border. That's what you're going to do. The German army has been underground. It's been secret. It's been uh, looking for answers. It's it's been intellectually motivated by by its scarce at the scarcity it's having to operate under and then suddenly being given a lot of limelight. So it's tied up politically with modernity. The French army is commanded by septuagenarians, octogenarians even. Yeah. Ancient, ancient, crusty people left over from the... Lo- who were old during the previous war. I mean, the fact that yeah. these generals are in their 70s in the, in the, in the Second World War means that, yeah. you know... They, they Wagon is 74. But, he's 74. Yeah. You know, it's not like he's one of the young blades who's pushed his way through. He's an esta- obviously an established guy. So you've got, you've got a completely cu- culturally in French. And, of course, it, it, the, the French, after the war, spent an awfully long time going... Christ, how did that happen to us? How did we let that happen? What did we? Where did we go wrong? And a big part, a big part of it is the army is, the army's. It's not just that it's committed to a static defence; it's static culturally, isn't it? And well, yeah, Petan, Petan starts. Uh, he, he joins the army in eighteen eighty-seven. Eighteen eighty-seven. Probably thinking, how do we win it? How do? How on earth do we stop Sudan in uh, eighteen seventy happening again? Isn't he? That's what he's thinking. Yeah, he's just unbelievable. joined an army that, that's figuring that problem out. So, so yes, I mean, Lord Gort was absolutely right to pull back. Um, and then finally, Kern O'Neill asks, counterfactual, what effect would the Mechelen incident not occurring have had on German and Allied plans? The Mechelen, the Mechelen incident, for those that don't know, um, it's not a uh, man made of rubber tyres um, stealing plans <laughs> of the German. <laughs> it's Mechelen, a place in Belgium where a German aircraft crashed with... The plans for the the you know the 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 Western offensive, the German Western offensive, the original plans, which 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 was boring and, and kind of same old same old. It's, it's basically the nineteen fourteen yeah. plan again. Yeah, yeah. I approach from plan, Schlieffen plan with tanks. Yeah, old, but not even a full Schlieffen, which of course because of course the yeah. nineteen fourteen isn't the full Schlieffen, which is arguably no. why some people think it doesn't work. But um, yeah, and and so the Allies go great. The Allies see this. And, you know, I mean, this is... This, That's I what mean, we've been thinking too, anyway. Well, in A Bridge Too Far, of course, there's that scene where, the, where they find the plans in the glider with Holland written on them. And just yeah. in case you were wondering what, what was yeah. happening in the movie. Holland and Arnhem on. And this, so this is an intelligence coup for the Allies. But the Germans, the Germans go, oh, bollocks, we're going to have to think again. They, they actually do respond to it. And that's where, the, uh, uh, the, you know, it's that go away, come back with a better idea, an alternative... Comes Let's from. go through the Ardennes. I, mean, I think, it, yeah, and I think if the Mechelens, I think I do actually think if it hadn't happened, you may have remained. The German High Command may never have it may never have occurred to them to take action on changing the plan because they kind of have to change the plan because of this. So they're open against again to do. Well, there's all sorts of interesting dynamics going on because Halder, who is in charge of plans, who is the chief yeah. of staff of the army, he is actually desperately trying to do a really boring plan and a re- one that looks like it's going to fail yeah. because he doesn't want yeah. to do it. Um, he wants yeah. the, the war to end, and he doesn't want to have to take on the Western yeah. powers. And and then when he realizes there is, you know, there is simply no way back that they're going to have to do it, um, he yeah. suddenly thinks, well, actually, this wacky plan, although it's 
of sending Army Group B around the north as a feint to look as though this is the main plan, a la yeah. the, the, what, what's discovered at Michelin and, and a la the, the, the original Schlieffen plan. Um, yeah. If they then do send their panzers through the south, through the Ardennes, it's still got a very, very high chance of not working. But it is the only, yeah. it is the only plan where... That could work. That could work. <laughs> Whereas getting into an attritional kind of, you know, a, a, a long attritional war with the Allies won't work. But this, this, which, this plan but which that, takes that us Cape back, Yellow, which is what it becomes. Which takes us back to the, ver- to the first question we answered, you know, um, that, you know, the... The, the, then the French basically cooperate with Falkelb. Yes. <laughs> For, you know, I mean, to any French listeners, it's just, we, we don't mean it, which is the way we're putting it. Um, we're not having a go at France here. But um, it, it is, it is, it is the, 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 sh- the sheer luck, you know, it's the luck of the devil that, the, 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 you know, the, the, the French basically make every decision that, they could, that the Germans could possibly hope them to make. Um, in the first, well, in yes, first including kind of not noticing days. and ignoring the signs. There's lots of people fly um, over the Ardennes. Reconnaissance, reconnaissance the, the aircraft biggest, going over the Ardennes. Oh, yeah, saying, look at all it, these It is tanks. the biggest gridlock ever in the history of gridlock. I mean, it is yeah. absolutely toe to bumper full of, you know, the strike force. And, and yeah. you know, if all the bombers had gone over there, that would have been the end of the war. Uh, and. Yeah. You know, reconnaissance pilots are going, I think I've seen lots of German things, and they just go, can't possibly be, they can't go through that. Yeah. End of. Ignore that. That would have been the end of that. Yeah. 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 We have to, one day we are going to have to go out to Sedan and Monterme and Dinant and all those places and look at it because it... Every time I go there, I just get cross. You know, you you just think, what a... How could they have let this happen? I mean, the thing is, it's the easiest place to access the river from high ground, shortest distance from Germany. I mean, all the kind of... You know all the things that I, I if I can work that out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not that. It's not just that. It's also that that you know the main cro- there are a number of crossing points at Sedan, but the number one main crossing point, the point where actually Guderian himself crosses, is yeah. exactly the same crossing point where the German forces crossed in 1870 yeah. and in 1914. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly yeah. the same point. And opposite that, there are no machine guns, no mines, no bunkers whatsoever. Yeah. Why? I mean, oh, it's in, it's, it's interesting it. because very often the mistake they made was trying to fight the the previous war. Well, no, they didn't. They didn't even bother doing that. You know that you've got no. they, like you say you've got previous ex- actual live examples, and the Germans obviously thinking well. There's a, on one level the Germans thinking well, where's this work before? Oh, yeah. You know. Okay. Anyway, that's it for today. Remember, Philippe Sands is our guest on Thursday, and he was in sparkling form when we caught up with him last week. Um, uh, really, really sensational uh, uh, stuff we got for you for Thursday, and we're live streaming again on Thursday night. Um, last week, Second World War quiz went down a storm, so I promise you we'll make it a little easier next time. Two out of ten, some of you. <laughs> and we've also got David Edgerton coming up, Professor David Edgerton. We're talking to yeah, this yeah, week yeah. as well. Aren't very, we? very exciting. That super exciting. Yeah. Thanks for listening, and see you next time. Cheerio. Cheerio.